You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Real blessing and real joy genuinely comes in Jesus. Unfortunately, the world around us doesn't know that. But have you? But the world cares about happiness. Have you ever said or heard somebody say, "I've said this before," and, and you probably have too? But well, as long as they're happy, right? You know, that's what matters. As long as they're happy, and I just I want my kids to be happy. I want so and so to be happy. And you know, we we live in a culture in a day where happiness. I mean, I think Adam and Eve wanted to be happy, right? Everybody that's ever walked this planet. I mean, who really wants to go through their life just completely unhappy? You know, just miserable. Nobody wants that. But if we're not careful, we can make happiness our highest good. And I've heard that in so kind of in the not in between the lines. Well, what people say, you know, well. It just, you know, well, I deserve to be happy. So if you make happiness your greatest good, you know, somebody can rob a bank and be happy because of the money they just got. They can be unhappy when they get caught. By the way, one of the best things that could ever happen to somebody who has stolen something is to get caught. You know, the worst thing you can do is just to get off with it and think that everything's good and everything's wonderful. And so our happiness can often be in the wrong thing. Somebody can be happy as they begin an illicit relationship in the excitement and the tentation of being with somebody and, and the, you know, the adrenaline rush and all of that. And meanwhile, they're cheating on their spouse. Well, that is not a happiness that be something we should seek. Somebody could say, well, I just need to get a divorce because my spouse doesn't make me happy anymore. I'm not happy. I deserve to be happy. You know, we can make our life if we're not careful about that. And so I want us to recognize this morning that really as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't focus so much on the happiness part. No, I'm not saying we ought to be walking around down the dumps and all of that. There should be a great joy in our Lord and a great celebration in that. But there is a something that is far more important. And something that I pray for our lives. In fact, I prayed for it this morning is that I want God's blessing on us. And I want us, I want God to bless our lives. And sometimes there's a happiness in there and sometimes not. Any young mom who's busy cleaning up or young dad who's busy cleaning up throw up, that is not a happy moment. You know what I mean? Like it's just life doesn't work out that way in many, many things, but we truly can be blessed in our life, that even as we go through difficult times or through various situations, a sense that God's hand is on us, that God's hand is on our church, on our family, on our individual lives, even on our community, and that's what we want. And this morning, as we look at Samuel, I can't think of a more succinct, clearer statement about how we can experience the blessing of God in our life. This is what parents want for their kids. This is what adult parents pray for their kids. When their kids are not following the Lord and going off the rails or off the tracks, and they see from afar the stuff that begins coming down into their kids' lives, and they're like, oh my goodness, it's, you know, they're not experiencing God's blessing. Like, this is a very just simple, clear thing that we need to have a fix on for our life for what we're passing on to our kids around us, for what we're trying to share in the world uh, all around us. As we think about our living faith, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that is alive and real, but it's practical 
in every single area of our life. So read with me, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 12. The backstory this morning is Samuel, as we know, is kind of getting up there in years, and he's kind of a kind of an extended goodbye. We don't know if this is part of the same speech as the last one last week, but he is simply saying, he's like, okay, guys, I'm leaving this earth soon, and I'm kind of giving you your kind of your marching orders. Like, these are the rules for the road. I'm leaving. You've got a new king, a king that you chose, and if you want this to turn out well, here's what you got to do. Think of it almost like a, this would be like in today's world, this would be the graduation speech, right? Now that you've done your four years and go out and do good, Samuel's saying, this is the secret sauce. This is the formula. You follow this, and you will be blessed as a nation. Don't follow this, and your life is going to be a train wreck. So we need to get this down. So read with me if you would. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to pick up the story here in verse 6. Samuel said to the people, he says, The Lord is witness. He's calling God himself to the witness stand. Do that very carefully. He's saying, God is the witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. Samuel says, guys, remember, you were enslaved in Egypt, and God brought you out of Egypt to this land. By the way, Palestine was given to the Jews thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It belongs to them. God gave it to them. And Samuel says, look, don't forget the blessings that God has done for you. Then he went and described that time, how Moses and Aaron and how they were brought out of that and how that they began, while even though God gave them tremendous blessing and brought them miraculously out of slavery in Egypt and just supernaturally provided for them, took care of them, that they began to forget. They forgot God. They neglected God. We talked about that. It's a, God is a dangerous God. You should not forget Him. He's not a God to be trifled with. And he said when that happened, the enemies would come in. And God was trying to use them to get your attention. Then you would turn back to God and He would bring in a champion. And He would bless you all over again. And then we pick up the story here in, chapter, in verse 11. And then the Lord sent Jerub, uh, Jerry Baal. In other words, that was a nickname for Gideon. And Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. He says, me. And he delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. When you ignored God and you disobeyed God, did your own thing, the enemy came, raped and killed and pillaged. But when you turned and followed God, you lived in safety and blessing, and peace. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, that was just a couple of weeks ago, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. Was it just that they wanted a king? Is that they were rejecting the kingship of God in their life? And they wanted a tangible king. By the way, be careful when we say, well, I know God loves me, takes care of me, but I need somebody to physically hold me. Well, Yes, we do need physical, but be careful when what God gives you is not enough. Israel said, we know God's king, but it's not enough. We want a physical king, right? Tangible in front of us. And so in verse 13, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen. In other words, 
I went out and got the guy. God chose the guy, the kind of guy that you wanted. You wanted somebody good looking, somebody you could look up to, somebody that was tall and somebody that, you know, looked like they were going to be kind of kingly and be able to run this. This was the king that you chose and that you asked. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And if, here's where the secret sauce is. If you've got a paper Bible, you need to highlight this. If you're on line or if you're on your, using your Bible app, highlight it, send a text to yourself. This is a really key verse. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him, number two, number three, and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both the king, both you and the king who reigns over you will, number four, follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Good is going to happen to you if you do these four things. But, in verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Samuel says just the most simplest, right in front of us kind of statement. If you want it to go well with you in your life, fear God, serve Him, obey Him, and follow Him. Those aren't four separate things. They're kind of start at the part where we fear Him, and if you fear Him, you will serve Him. If you serve Him, you're going to obey Him. If you obey Him, you're going to follow him. And ultimately, that's what God wants, right? Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if you do these things, your life is going to be blessed. That's not, doesn't mean that nothing ever bad will ever happen to you. It doesn't mean that you might, you've got a guarantee to not have cancer. That mean, doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to not have a child die young. Doesn't mean that you're guaranteed any of those kinds of things. But what it does mean is that when you step back and look at your life, it will be, you will say, God, had hand, His hand has been on me and on our family. And even though we've gone through this life and this life is not easy, oh my goodness, the blessings of God that have just seated upon us. And if we don't do this, then the God of heaven is absolutely has been against us and things don't go well. We want life to go well, don't we? A few weeks ago, one of my kids called us up early in the morning. They were headed off to school. I say early. It was not like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. It was like, I don't know, 8 o'clock or whatever. And she was on her way to school and the car died a couple of miles, two or three miles before the college. And you know, it's eventually you drive a car, those things are going to happen. And I asked what went on, and it just kind of lights began blinking. It wouldn't start, and nothing was clicking. I'm like, okay, it's probably a battery or an alternator. Who knows? And hopped in and went. Sure enough, battery was dead. And we jumped the car, and it lived long enough to, to kind of coast into the auto store just a few miles from there and tested it. I'm like, okay, battery dead, easy. Just go flip it in. It was fine. We drove home. I'm like, okay, it's great. But I was kind of like, I don't fully trust it yet. You know what I mean? I'm like, I just... Honey, I don't want you driving this yet. You drive our car. I don't want to go through this again, you know. So we drove it to, I think I drove it to church that Sunday, the, a few days later. And sure enough, on the way home, I was watching it and things started going weird on it. And I made sure somebody was following us and it died like three quarters of the way home. 
jumped it again and like, okay, it probably is a bad alternator. It wasn't just the batteries going, now we've got a bad alternator. And I think we had to jump it twice and just, it barely, it's one of the things, like there's a little light in Mariahville Lake and it's just like, in the country, just middle of nowhere, there's a traffic light. And so I'm like, I kind of ran the light because I'm like, this car's going to die if I sit here at the light. I look kind of both ways and we barely, I mean like to the floor and kind of like 25 miles an hour, could barely get over the hill and literally coasted the last mile right on down the hill and pulled into the driveway and fixed the alternator. And then it was throwing a check engine light and it had had a little bit of issue going on. And so we checked the codes on that. I'm like, okay, there's an oxygen sensor bad. I'm trying to save her money. And I'm like, I really am not good with cars. We're figuring it out. We changed the O2 sensor. Still was throwing a code like, oh, now it's telling us that one of the cylinders is bad. Number six cylinder isn't working. So we changed the coil pack. And finally, like, oh, this thing is now running the way it's supposed to run. Several hundred dollars later, you know, down the road. That is what life is like, is it not? Sometimes you're like, oh my goodness, I just replaced the battery to the alternator. What is all this other stuff? You know, things pile in on top of it and troubles at work and everything kind of rains and pours, right? Life is just naturally like that. We want our life to work. Life is hard regardless for all of us. But sometimes it's hard because we are not obeying the Lord we are not serving Him, we are not fearing Him, we are not following Him, and God is categorically 100% against us. You see, sometimes God is absolutely loving us to get our attention. Instead of life going well for us, He's like, are you going to look up yet? Are you going to finally plug the little computer into the car to say, why is life not working? Are you finally going to stop and instead of just quit trying to drive down the road? Are you going to look up and say, God, why is this happening? Are you going to think about some of the bigger things in your life? See, all humans do that. We all, are, are the deer and the, your pet dog and your cats, they don't reason that way. They don't look around like, huh, why is this like this? And I should be thinking differently. We do. Because we're made in the image of God. And God wants us to connect with Him. And so we're trying to make sense of our life. Even when people that you know, they get angry at God for things that have happened in their life, they're doing what is appropriate. They're trying to make sense of their life around them. They're coming to some wrong conclusions about that. But they are doing what they should be. They're asking deep questions and they're looking for answers. And so the blessings that we are all looking, we want life to work out for us. We want things to go our way. It only comes when we are following God. Now this is a natural step kind of progression. Look, if you will, at the slide that has the picture. You see, it starts. If you, wanna, if you want it to go well for you, which is the end of what we want in life, it starts with fearing God. It starts within our heart, valuing Him to the point and recognizing His authority and His power and His holiness where we're afraid to go against Him, where we recognize who He is and with the gravity and the seriousness of Him that we don't treat Him lightly. It starts out of that fear in our heart, not terrified of God, but terrified to go against Him and wanting for sure for our life to be in alignment. And when we fear Him in that way, then it's natural that we say, God, I want to serve You. You're important. 
It's not me. You're the one I want to serve. And when we genuinely want to serve God, then we want to obey Him. See, too often we want our kids to obey, and the issue isn't their obedience, what they do or not do. The issue is actually deeper. There's a lack of fear of God in their hearts. And then when we obey Him, ultimately what God is looking for us to our obedience is in such a way that our life is in alignment. We're brought into alignment that we follow Him. And God wants our life to be filled in a relationship and an incredible adventure of following Him, of knowing Him deeply in our life. That's what Jesus did. That's why He sent Jesus to bring heaven, if you will, to this earth, to die on the cross for our sins so that through faith and trusting Him as Lord of our life is to be the sin solution of our sins that we are forgiven and we enter into that relationship and our life is brought into alignment and our whole life we're following Him. And when we do that, we, we live and experience that, then our life is nothing but blessings. Then we can sit back like King David and we can say, the lot of life, in other words, the circumstances of life have fallen to me in pleasant places. In other words, wow, yeah, I've had some challenging things in life, but there's a God who is superintended and who is overarching over all of that and who has done things well in our life. Conversely, later on in the chapter, Samuel impacts this further. He says, guys, if you don't do this, we haven't read this yet, I will in a minute, but he says, if you don't do this, if you don't serve the Lord with all your heart, in verse 20, he says, do, he says, do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. He tells us, the alternative is, is we either serve God and recognize who He is in our life, or we serve empty things, things that are nothing. That if you kind of look up that Hebrew word definitionally, it's, it's unreal. In other words, it's something that's not even there. It's just, it's nothingness. It is just completely empty. So we have two choices in life to put that which we serve, that which we follow, that which we obey, that which we trust in, that which we fear is ultimately empty, or we serve the one who is real, who is there, who is genuine, who is full of substance. And if we serve that which is empty, we will get nothing but heartache, nothing but headache, nothing but problems in our life. It would be like you banking your retirement on something that's not real. You get to that point of your retirement, and there's nothing there. Think about the heartache of that. Think about trusting someone and then that being a completely untrustworthy person, that completely wrong, completely everything, and show themselves to be the opposite. You see, trusting in emptiness hurts. Trusting in emptiness will cost you. Trusting in that which is not real will always backfire and blow up in your face. And the tendency is for all of us to follow our own common sense, our own logic, our own things that we want, and to trust that which is not real and Samuel says, guys, this has not done you very well. You have a pretty bad track record over the generations of up and down and up and down and 
you know, up and down like the stock market or like the, the heartbeat, you know, on the monitor. You're up and you're following God, it goes well, and then you forget about Him and you fall down in the valley and God, all this judgment comes and it doesn't go well for you. And so He's challenging them to level that out and to serve God in all of your life, in every area of your life. As I've been reading through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, this one verse explains the rest of Samuel, explains all of 2 Samuel, explains 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. All the generations of Israel and the kingdoms are in this one verse. If you follow God, He will take care of you and bless you. If you don't, you have nothing but a God against you on top of you trusting in empty, vain things. That's, that statement is referred to and replied to in so many different ways. In Second Chronicles, I just read this week, there was a king, he's the grandfather of King Hezekiah, was who was a good king. And his grandfather was Joash. And Joash, the Bible says to him, we don't know a lot about him or what happened. He was a good king. He pursued God, not quite as far as he should have. But the Bible says that he became strong and was was powerful because he ordered his way before the Lord. That's what God wants you and me to do in our life. He wants us to order our life so that every single area of our life, how we handle our finances, what we do with our time, where we spend our days, what we do with our life, every single thing is brought in order before God. You see, people who do that are people who fear him. People who do that are people who say, God, you own everything. I own nothing. It's your opinion that matters. I serve you. God, I obey you. Whatever you say you want me to do, I will do. Whether it's in your word, whether your spirit is leading me in my heart, I'm going to be in full obedience because, God, I am following you. And blessing comes in that. Folks, as followers of Jesus, that's what we should want for our kids. Not that they be happy, but that they would be blessed and have the blessing of God in their life that comes from living a life that follows and pursues Him. Now, I want you to notice two more things. I'm going to do this quickly for time's sake. There's two things that God, that Samuel does to help drill this into our heart. And Samuel says, guys, I know you. He says this in effect, I know you. You're going to forget this. And to help you to kind of get this, I'm going to try to teach you a lesson. Even though it's harvest time, and harvest season, much like now, it didn't doesn't rain as much, right? Was it April showers bring May flowers, you know, all of that. I tend to like to go hiking in the fall. It doesn't rain as much. Weather's a little more dependable, all that, than in the spring. There's not nearly as many bugs, you know, and all of that. And he says, it's harvest time. The wheat is in the fields. The heads are come today. They could be picked but I'm going to pray that God would send judgment to you and that there would be a bad thunderstorm that would come through. It tells us about the thunder and the rain because you need to know that God is really, really angry and displeased at where you are right now as a people. You see, what Samuel says, says in effect is, guys, it's not enough that I'm just reasoning with you and telling you this and for you to sit there and nod your head and say, amen, we get it. You need to feel the discipline of God on your life. When your livelihood depends as a farmer, that's how you're going to feed your family through the winter. 
right? That's like losing your job, or that's like going to work and getting a pay cut where you thought you were making this much money, and congratulations, you're down here. He says, you need to experience the discipline of God in your life. See, we don't need to forget this. Two things that we need to remember. One is it that God disciplines us because he loves us. He disciplines us when we don't obey these things. When you're a child of God, he doesn't just let us just wander off and go wherever we want. Out of love, he disciplines us to teach us, to mature us, and to grow us. He disciplines us because he cares for us. And our job is to receive that discipline and to learn. That's what Samuel talks about here in verse uh, 18. He says, the Bible says this, so, oh, in verse 17 it says, And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. It's like, you don't get it yet. I'm telling you this stuff, and you're nodding your heads at me, and you're saying you understand, but the talking to that you're getting isn't getting through to you. I want you to really get it. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. You see, God disciplines us to teach us fear. The reason life doesn't go well, it's not that there's just a secret sauce in life. It's not that God is being manipulative, you know, in heaven. It's that God loves us. He doesn't want us trusting in empty things that ruin and destroy he wants us to trust in that which is real. And he loves us enough to pay attention and discipline us and to allow our life to not go well so that we will look up and we will see, yes, God, I'm finally kind of getting the reason that I'm in this mess is because I have trusted in empty things and I've not been obeying you. He wants us to fear him. And so the people were afraid of Samuel and afraid of the Lord, or they, were, they feared the Lord in Samuel. In verse 19, the people said to him, Pray for your service to the Lord your God, that we may not die. I mean, this was no ordinary thunderstorm. It brought terror into their life, and they said that we won't die. Pray, please, because we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. You know when they finally admitted their sin? When they felt the pain of the consequences. Not because they had a lecture, not because they had it explained to them, but when there were legitimate consequences happening in their life, only then did they fear the Lord. Folks, I kind of wish it wasn't like that. Mom and Dad, I kind of wish you could just talk to your kids and they'd get it, but they don't. You see... We need to realize that reasoning really doesn't cut it with any of us. These are people, adults, thinking, and they didn't get it until they really had a fear of God put into their heart. You see, there has to be a discipline that matches that reality. And our job as followers of Jesus is to allow him to discipline us. The Bible says that whom the Lord loves, he scourges and he chastises every son whom he receives. Not in hatred, not in anger, not in vengeance, in love. Because he loves us too much to leave us out. We often think of that opposite, right? But God says, no, I love you too much to leave you in that world because I want to discipline you. I want to train you. I want to hone you. 
And our job is to do just what the people did. It's like, oh my goodness, we really have messed up. Oh, Samuel, please pray. God, please don't crush us. There's a point in our lives when we see things not going well, our response should be to fall on our face before God. God, forgive me. And as we rise up and we experience the forgiveness of God, as I'll read here in just a minute, we should recognize that the discipline of the Lord still generally kind of continues until it plays through. And so the discipline that God wants to bring into our life is a sign that He loves you. It's a sign that you're a child of God. It's not a sign that He's getting rid of you. It's not a sign that He's just hating you and throwing you and kind of kicking you to the curb. We don't understand that because our culture doesn't understand healthy, good discipline. We don't understand how to do that well today as parents. We don't understand it in the world around us. But you really, you don't, the discipline is what touches the heart. You can't touch the mind. Speaking the logic and you know reasoning and redirecting and distracting and all the strategies that are put together as parents in an educated world, they might manage outward behavior, but they never get past that down into the heart. And what has to be addressed is the heart issue, and that's discipline is what gets to that. And so the people become afraid, and Samuel says to the people, do not be afraid in verse 20. You have done all this evil. He doesn't say, oh, that's okay, it's no big deal. He says, yeah, you have done all of that. Thank you, I'm glad you finally admitted to it. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord to serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't go after those empty things. For the Lord will not, verse 22 is what I want you to see, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. He says, God's not going to dismiss you and throw you out. This discipline that you're experiencing is not the end of the world. You're not going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Make sure that now that you realize what you've done is wrong, and make sure that you're learning from this to serve him. Find hope in the middle of that discipline, that God is not just dismissing you. See, mom and dad, when you discipline your children, when it's in an environment that's safe and they know they, that you love them and they understand that, discipline's appropriate. When it's appropriate to their age and what they've done and what's going on, because there's safety and that they know that they're secure in that relationship with you and they get it. They have messed up. And there's natural consequences to that. And you discipline them into training of their hearts. And it's the same thing as we as Christians should experience as well, that it's a sign that God loves us. And it's a sign of God bringing us in our lives into alignment, the fearing of Him. So the whole thing is that God says, hey, follow me, it'll go well. But I know ultimately you're still sinners and you're going to deviate. Every one of us will, folks. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus, you're going to deviate here and there. We are sinful people. And when we do, God loves us enough to not let us get away with it. And he brings us back in line. Big deviations bring big judgments. Little deviations bring little judgments. And our goal is to make them little, right? And smaller and quicker. And, and to say, oh, God, I caught this before there's judgment. Please forgive me. And, you know, often that's able to happen. And so 
But he does it because he loves us. So that's the first reminder. The second thing that we can do to help our heart fear for God, to fear God and to experience his blessing and live this living faith out in our life is he tells us to remember the good things that God has done for us. Look at the rest of the verses here. Moses, or Moses, uh, Samuel says this in verse 23. He says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I mean, get the picture. Samuel's not diminishing how bad this thing was. He's like, guys, it was bad. Don't lighten, don't take the pressure off when you're in that role and helping people realize what they've done is wrong. And, but he also says, I am praying for you that God would be gracious into your life and that you will be able to get into alignment where it should be. I'm praying for you. I'm not praying that God would remove the judgment that's God's deal. He's already told us, you don't follow him, it's coming. But I'm going to pray for God's help and sustaining work and grace in your life. I will pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. My role is to teach you right. If you just do right, it's all good. That's what God told when Cain killed his brother Abel, the first sin after Adam and Eve in the garden. Cain killed his brother, and God's like, why are you so upset, Cain? If you do right, it turns out good for you. What's the problem? Don't blame this on your brother. Don't blame this on me. Do what you're supposed to, and it's all good. And Samuel says, I'm going to teach you what God wants. Only, here's what you need to focus on, fear the Lord in verse 24 and serve Him faithfully. He told us again, like this is the third time in the same passage, like fear God and serve Him with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. He says, guys, fear him. And to help you to fear him, remember what great things he's done for you. Two things that God puts into our life to help us to know how to serve him and to fear him and to get our life on track. One is discipline and the threat of bad coming to us when we've blown it out of God's love, and the other is positive. Same thing, same flip side of the coin, remembering all the good that God has done in our life. You see, Samuel says, guys, remember that God has loved you, that God has taken care of you, that God has provided for you, that God has protected you. Why would you want to deviate from Him? You see, when you and I forget the blessings of God, we are most at risk of walking away from Him. When you and I start getting angry at God, and it will happen, because we will see things that are happening that we don't think are right, and we will get angry, be careful. Your next attitude, your next action, and your next words will absolutely be outside of His plan for you, and you're deviating. You see, God is the one who made you. And God is the one who loves you. God is the one who sacrificed His Son Jesus for you. And when we don't keep who He is and keep what He's done first and foremost in our life, we forget that, we will absolutely deviate. That's why Jesus told us to remember His crucifixion regularly. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's about us remembering the good that God has done for us. So He says, Pro uh, proactively, in your mind and in your heart, stay focused on those things. That's not a power of positive thinking, and that's not just good thoughts and all of this. 
but it's, it's remembering the goodness of God to you. See, when things are going bad and we focus on that in our life, and I'm not talking about going bad because we're doing something wrong and God's disciplining us, just when we go through hard times, we start thinking, well, maybe God doesn't love us and maybe God's gone to sleep and I don't know what God's doing and I'm feeling neglected and I'm not feeling like He loves me much. And when those thoughts are seeping into your mind and heart, it's actually sin. And you need to recognize it. You need to call it out for what it is. God, forgive me for blaming you for other stuff going on in my life that's not your fault. Because in those moments, our heart has grown very cold to God. Think about it this way. If you're married and you go home to your spouse and you're sitting there and you're just like, you know what? I don't think that you're doing a very good job of loving me. I don't think you've done a very good job taking care of me this week. I don't think that you've done this well and that well. How's your relationship going to go with that other person? Not very well, right? Your heart's cold, and God sees and hears and knows all of that. And so on both of those, he's like, proactively, consider the amazing things that the God of heaven has done in your life. Whatever it takes in Scripture and writing it down and journaling and all of that, and keep that before you. And when times are tough and you're going through some hard stuff, keep the goodness of God in your life because it'll keep you from deviating. And when you have deviated and God's disciplining you, receive it. Recognize it for what it is and accept it and say, God, forgive me. We've sinned, and fall on your face before God and get your life in alignment and don't reject the discipline of God in your life because it's His goodness to teach you your heart to fear Him in both of those ways. You see, folks, to live this life of faith in Jesus, it means that we are really wrestling for our own heart. That Jesus saved us. He died on the cross for our sins. We received Him by faith. But there is this ongoing wrestling that you and I are responsible in our life for our heart and our mind before the God of heaven. And when you have kids at home, your job as mom and dad is to help them to learn to wrestle with the hearts. But you kind of are looking out after that and you're speaking into their world. And you're, when it's appropriate, you're disciplining them into that world because you're teaching them the fear of God and how that lives. We get so afraid of discipline today. In fact, people are, don't even know how to respond when they you know, find out that they're not doing well and they almost crumble. It, it creates such an artificial, like everything has to be perfect in their life. And all of that sp comes from just a, a lack of discipline and a lack of somebody saying, yeah, you're great, but you messed up. And there's consequences for that. And God in heaven... It's, it's kind of as ironic as it is, but we have to focus even as Christians on that. Like, it's okay. The discipline of the Lord is not His hatred. It's not His vindictiveness. He's not rejecting you as a person. In fact, it's the opposite. He's trying to bring you close, and He can never bring you close when you're in full disobedience. Because God can never bless disobedience and rebellion. He can't do it. He's a holy, loving, gracious God. It is absolutely categorically impossible. Think about it this way. If you've got, uh, it could be your niece or nephew or grandchild or, or you know, maybe one of your own children, and you're just trying to give them a, a hug or, or, or something, you know, to have a nice sweet time with them, and they're busy swinging and failing and trying to punch and kick and bite, and you're like, what are you, you can't have that moment. 
you got to deal with that, those actions and that attitude first. When you and I are busy going our own thing and doing our own way, it's like us flailing about. And God's like, look, I want you to feel my love and my presence. And I want you close. But you're never going to get there as long as you're doing what you're doing. And so I've got to bring discipline to get your attention and bring you back in line. So as we think about this morning is for our Lord's Supper and we think about your own life, there's kind of two levels that I want you to process it. Some of you have adult children that are living that and asking the questions, and they're mad at God for the discipline of God. You might not be in a spot where you can tell them, like, look, you're kind of getting what you deserve, and God loves you. And maybe somewhere along the way that you can help them to understand that. But the challenging thing is, is for you, and as painful as it is, is they go through those things because God cares about them. And see that as a sign of God has not fully rejected them that there's still hope in the middle of that. Parents of young children, for your own sake, step into that world and get a strong, stiff dose of reality. Love is not just, you know, rocking the baby. It's teaching them discipline when they do wrong, setting those up and learn how to do that well and ask other parents well. Shape your whole parenting around what God does and what God teaches us in His Word, not what's popular in the world around us. When maybe some of you are experiencing in your life turbulence and things and you haven't really stepped back or maybe you're like, you know what, I kind of think this might be on me. As followers of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit's in our life, the Holy Spirit's kind of knocking in our mind and our heart like, yeah, things aren't going well for you right now because you kind of put God on a shelf. You're kind of ignoring Him. Yeah, you're going through the motions. No, you hadn't murdered anybody. You hadn't, you know, stolen from the company or anything crazy, but you're just really not serving God with your whole heart. And that's really the source of your problem. Recognize it. Admit it to God and get that in alignment and say, God, whatever I need to experience for your discipline, I will endure that. Maybe you need to walk through those things yourself. Maybe none of those are your world. Maybe you're here and you're just like, you know what? I haven't been focusing on the goodness of God. I have been kind of complaining and griping, and yeah, I am going through some hard things, and it's okay to share those burdens and walk through that. Those are realities. But maybe you've been at risk of kind of not focusing on the incredible goodness of God in your life. The deeper the pain that you're going through, and the deeper the problems, the more laser focused you've got to focus in on the goodness of God. That's not being irrational. That's not just kind of hiding from reality. That's actually, you know what? I'm at risk. This is getting so messed up. I really got to focus on God and be thankful for what he's done and seen all of that. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Regardless of where you are in all of that, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's meant to be a tangible reminder, not just something that we hear, but something that we experience. We're supposed to see the color of the juice. And remember that it's reflective of the blood of our Lord Jesus. It's supposed to impact us. We're supposed to see the, the wafer. And think about his body that was broken for us. His flesh was crucified. We're supposed to, in essence, he's not crucified a second time or a thousandth time, but we're supposed to remember and to think through those things, to say, Lord, you really love me beyond anything I can fully comprehend.
and beyond any love that anyone in this planet has ever shown me. And it's meant to encourage our heart, to strengthen us, to embolden us, to help us to follow Him and to fear Him and love Him afresh and anew and to set us out for that day and for that week and for that, that time, remembering that. And so if you're, to be real transparent, if your life is totally deviated away from God and you just realize like I'm in such sin and messed up and now God's talking to me, then what you need to do during the, this Lord's Supper time is to not partake of it. Because the Bible says, be careful, you don't take of this just lightly. Like what you need to focus in on is just praying and thinking through where you are and asking forgiveness and letting God talking to you. But if your heart's where it needs to be, then when it comes to this table, then reflect on the goodness of God. And if your heart's spinning for about the people that you love that you realize that are experiencing that judgment, then you reflect on the love that God has for you and His goodness towards you, and you pray for them that they would experience that goodness too in the middle of it. So wherever you are in this whole conversation and this whole story, it, it is so clear to us. Think through and respond to what God has been talking to you about today. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.